Welcome, everyone, to Season 4, Episode 121 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. And if you're watching the video version of the podcast, I finally have a new kit. Yes, finally, after 500 years, uh, four seasons of rocking the same old kits, I finally picked up uh, Splash the Cash on the United Away jersey this season. Um, I just thought it looked really cool. I, I really liked the, like, the little blue stripes and everything to it. And I was like, you know what? Finally, time to upgrade the kit because the last United kit I bought was the 2016-17 home one. So, um, you know, four seasons. I feel like this is the year where things are going to change and become the better better United, the old United. So I'm like, you know, I got to splash the cash on this one. But other than that, we just wrapped up the opening weekend of the Premier League. It was really fun. Um, one interesting note out of the opening weekend was that there was not a single draw and a single tie, as Ted Lasso would say, um, in the Premier League. So literally during week one, every team... Either every team either won or lost, so not a single draw. So it was filled with a lot of goals, a lot of action, a lot of storylines that came out of it. But um, not only that, but stadiums were back at full capacity, which was another big deal because for the longest time, I know we saw fans come back for the final, I believe, three weeks of the season, but it was only home fans that were allowed back in the stadium, not full capacity. But this was the first week we saw a full packed house stadium for probably the first time since February of 2020, honestly. It's been that long. Um, but Tyler, uh, initial reactions from the uh, opening weekend of Premier, of the Premier League? It was just surreal seeing all, like, just the fan noise. It, it wasn't like that yeah. EA Sports funneled in off the speakers kind of noise. It was just like, oh, no this is what it was in noise. the past. Yeah, it was no artificial noise. It was literally just raw, raucous fans. And that really played a part into how some of the teams played this weekend. Yeah. It was just team definitely surreal. got that boost. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And we're going to go into those in our analysis in a, fe- in a sec. But like, it was just good to see. It was just very good vibes. Just seeing everything kind of getting a little bit back to more normal as we saw pre-COVID. Yeah. I, I thought it was really cool. Was uh, We're going to talk about this going a little bit. But the Mason Greenwood goal for United in the, in the Leeds matchup, after he scored, it was in the Stratford end. And you could literally see him running and just the crowd, like there was this amazing photo of you could just get like a big, huge, like depth of feel of like what was going on, where as soon as he scored, you could see the emotion on his face, but also you could see all the emotions on all the United fans. They were just screaming for joy, you know, just couldn't believe what they saw. They were just hugging each other. Everyone was just on their feet going crazy. Um, And we just kind of missed those moments because obviously all of last season and, you know, Coming back for Project Restart, we were just so used to the empty stadiums and the players essentially just kind of hugging each other. And yeah, they would show that emotion, but something about the fans, they bring out that extra sense of, you know, wow, when it comes to the performances and some of the emotions we saw. So I can't uh, I can't complain. It was definitely fun. It made for better photos. It made for better atmospheres. It, better, it made for better reactions to goals. The crowd was just on their feet. It was, You know, everything was just so much better with the fans back. And I think... Generally speaking, that's been the vibe that I got from pretty much everyone. No matter who you supported, the fans being back was just a a plus for the Premier League for sure. But there were a couple big results that happened in this Premier League weekend. And then I have to start it off with my team, Manchester United. They kicked off the uh, Premier League weekend. Arsenal and Brentford kicked off the actual Premier League season. But United-Leeds kicked off the weekend. And United ended up beating Leeds 5-1. to one. But... Gosh, there was so much stuff that happened in this game. Before the game even started, Manchester United finally announced and unveiled their new star center back signing, Rafael Varane, in front of a packed Old Trafford. 
And wow, that was crazy that, that, you know, when I was working that game, I was like, okay, I have to cover this. But, you know, after I got done with my shift, I just kind of sat back and was like, whoa, we really re- announced Varane in front of a, a packed stadium. And there was somebody that covered United on Twitter actually said that, you know, the way we announced Varane beats any like piano announcement or any other hype announcement video you can think of, like announcing a star center back player that literally came out like he was a million dollars. Like he looked a million dollars with the black suit and everything. Oh, Tyler, that was crazy. When I, when I, was, I saw that, I was wild. I was going to say, he came out holding the jersey while wearing a full suit and tie. I was like, what's going on? I was like, I haven't he seen... He took a selfie in the middle of the pitch, too. <laughs> I was oh. like, I've never seen a reveal like this. Also, live before a game. Usually, yeah. it'd be its own event in you know a closed stadium. I'm kind of thinking like Santi Corzola when he was un- unveiled yeah, to Villarreal. Messi. Or like, yeah, Messi, too. So, and then even like every... You can always think of the iconic like Barcelona unveilings where it's just them juggling a ball here and there and yeah. then having the cameras take pictures of them. And then if they fail at the juggling, it's like, all right, that's a that's a sign. But yeah, I mean, for Varane being unveiled opening weekend to all the United fans. Packed Old Trafford. Like too. a rock star. I was just like, what is what is going on? Like this, yeah. that kind of gave a telltale sign of just like what's to come. And I'm just like, I'm kind of scared. <laughs> yeah, As, it- as a Liverpool fan, I was like, "Ooh, that, that looks insane!" Oh no, it it, it, it was wild too because I I I don't think the TV did like the best, I guess, job or the broadcast did the best job of capturing the noise. But the people that were inside the stadium said that when he came out of the tunnel, they said that Old Trafford just like the roof went off of Old Trafford. It just got so loud when they saw him walk out. But that was a big thing that happened. Jaden Sancho made his debut finally for Manchester United you know, came on, I think in the 75th or 80th minute, um, in this game. So that was a big plus sign to see, but obviously, um, two of the biggest storylines for United were Bruno Fernandez scoring a hat trick, all three goals coming from open play, not a single set piece goal. And then Paul Pogba getting four assists in this game, just immense. And And not to mention these weren't just, this wasn't just a game where I would say Bruno and Pogba, they just got a goal and assist, and that's all they did. They legitimately controlled this entire game. They ran the show for United, and Paul Pogba just looked a million. I mean, he looked amazing getting those four assists. Like, the passes he was doing were crisp. He was on, he was on the ball, intelligent. Like, he was playing. You know, there's always this dilemma of, like, France Paul Pogba and then Paul Pogba for Manchester United. But, you know, we finally saw Paul Pogba, the way he plays for France, in a Manchester United kit, and... He just looked amazing. Him and Bruno Fernandez, the the link up those two will have, and those the link up they those two had last season was phenomenal. Uh, they they, were, they just ran the show, and I was just blown away by how good they were um, against Leeds. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you got to give some credit to Leeds. Like it didn't seem like their defense just fell apart. It literally just unlocked by Pogba's yeah. passes. Like some of the passes I saw that game were insane. Some of these passes would be you know passes of the season, but he he did four. And some of them, you know, granted, some of them were just, you know, basically just big chances created, just slicing through the the defense. But some of these passes that he did to unlock the defense, like I even remember distinctly like his second assist where he just passed it down the wing to Greenwood. I was just like perfectly weighted, perfectly (laughs) weighted, placed where Greenwood could just take it on his stride. That, That was Oh, that was a good one. That, he placed a ground ball from like midfield, like right near like the halfway line to the goal box while on the ground. That was like an Ozil level pass, which so is mm-hmm. on like on a dime. 
I was like, what is going on? <laughs> like, the, the other one, the other one that stuck out to me was the first one where he assisted the opening goal for United, where um McTominay played a, a a you know a hard pass, a hard fast ball, uh ground pass to him. And then basically he saw Bruno making the run, didn't even take the touch, first time pass, lifts it over the defense of Leeds and places it right into Bruno Fernandez's, you know, where he can take the delicate touch and then just, you know, score the goal. So he had multiple assists like that. And I thought was what was also interesting was um, last season, Paul Pogba only had three assists in the Premier League. And this game, he literally had four. So he literally shattered his last season's assist mark. So if this is a telltale sign of the performances we're going to get from Bruno Fernandez and Paul Pogba, I, I'm I'm really, really excited to see. I, I honestly think th- those two, they're, they're the best midfield duo in the Premier League, just purely on talent. Um, ability and product. I, I think those two are the, the best midfield duo in the Premier League. But um, one thing I felt like that kind of got a little unnoticed was Mason Greenwood. I was really, really impressed by him. Um, not to mention the goal he scored was just a phenomenal because the, the, the that second goal where he literally runs past his defender, picks up the Paul Pogba through ball, and finishes it perfectly into the bottom bottom right corner of the net. Um, ran down like fifty eight, like forty fifty yards down the pitch to get all the way to the goal line to score. Um, people were saying that it just was essentially Mason Greenwood like becoming a grown man. That was a grown man finish um, because uh, you know Mason Greenwood is still nineteen and it feels like he's a lot older than he is. But we've been watching him for a couple seasons now, and it just this game it just felt like he bulked up. Um, he looks a lot more stronger. He looks more capable of handling um, more consistent Premier League minutes. Um, he just looks an all-around just a better player and just more physically. Um, it's like his body is caught up to kind of the technical ability he has. So I was very, very impressed with Mason Greenwood. I think, um, you know, he can play his role, even if it's on the right wing or even if it's a, as a backup striker to Edison Cavani. I think he can play a very, very important role for United's attack this season because he's a... He's so multidimensional, two-footed, has good skill moves, ha- has pace, can finish. He, he's just an outstanding player. Mm-hmm. And with Jaden Sancho coming in, it's not like he has to play on the wing as much as well this yeah. season. So it'll be just him up top if you know Edison Cavani needs to be put out for load management or maybe an injury, something like that. So mm-hmm. this is kind of his time because it didn't really look like they brought in anyone else to play that central striking. It's just like, all right, it's all you. It's all you. Yeah. So it's, you. it's uh, it was looking very scary. This overall, all these kind of parts coming together, like just integration of yeah. all these. This is, this is without Rashford starting. Rashford exactly. So team. It, like all the puzzle pieces aren't even there yet. It's just <laughs> so it's a little scary seeing that dismantling of Leeds five one as is. So I mean, it is opening weekend, so we have to put yeah. that disclaimer in there. It's just like you know, it's just one sample. We got to see how it is yeah. throughout the whole. That, that's been game the biggest season. thing is. With Solskjaer last season, it's like they could do it for a couple games, but they just um, can they do it for the entire Premier League season? Can they do it consistently, you know, from week one all the way to the last week of the season? That's, I think, going to be the biggest question mark and whether this team is actually ready to challenge for titles is can they do this consistently? I don't know. I'm interested to see. And I think uh, one little point about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, then we'll move on from United, but the transformation he's made with this squad since he took over as full-time coach has been phenomenal because it was not too long ago that this was i'll read off the squad i actually wrote it down this was the squad he 
um, inherited when he was the caretaker manager for his first game against Cardiff. Um, I'll read you off the squad. So starting goalkeeper was De Gea, um, Ashley Young, Lindelof, Phil Jones, Luke Shaw were the back four, Nemanja Matic, Paul Pogba, Ander Herrera, and Jesse Lingard were the midfielders, and Martial, Anthony Martial and Marcus Rashford were the strikers. And obviously, some of those names are obviously still there. But to me, what, what's more impressive is just the transformation he's made to a lot of these um, Deadwood players and a lot of these players that weren't good enough for United, but were still getting consistent minutes under the likes of Mourinho and Van Hall, um, where Ashley Young is now replaced by Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Phil Jones is obviously now replaced by Harry Maguire. Lindelof will now be replaced by Rafael Varane. Matic now replaced by, you know, McTominay Fred, depending on the situation. Lingard replaced by Bruno Fernandez, you know, Anthony Martial coming in and out for Mason Greenwood, Edison Cavani, you know, Jaden Sancho coming in. So it's taken three seasons, but Solskjaer has made some really, really good signings that they've worked out. They haven't, they haven't been flops. So I have to give credit to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because um, the transformation, it was a long project, but he, he it, it seems like finally he actually has a squad that he likes and a squad that is capable uh, for challenging and winning titles now. Yeah, it really seems like that three-year plan, it was just, we kind of saw a progression of it going. It's just like, all right, you know, Yosh mentions it every single, I feel like every single season, you hear the same phrase from Yosh, got to clear out the deadwood, got to clear out all the players that aren't there. For it's, it's actually mad. It's actually <laughs> mad because as long as I've talked about it, you know, you can go back from season one, especially, and then the first season, first official season of Solskjaer, you know, we had Andreas Pereira always starting in a midfield with like McTominay and Fred. And then, you know, you had likes of Ashley Young, Antonio Valencia as a fullback. So then you had Phil Jones, Chris Smalling starting. Oh, it's, to me, it still hasn't clicked about like how much of a transformation that this squad looks like now compared to what it looked like, you know, a couple years back then. It's, it's just kind of mental. It, it, Mm -hmm. It hasn't really clicked with me yet. It's on the ascend. It's still ascending, which is scary in itself, but it's definitely, a United team that is honestly in the previous season, it's just like, it's more hopeful than anything. Well, this season it's like, all right, it's go time. This is a season where they can actually win something. So that's in itself a little scary to see. <laughs> I mean, but I, yeah. you know, I always bring back like comparisons to Liverpool, but I, you know, I do that because obviously Tyler's a Liverpool fan, but to me, Liverpool were one of the few teams I saw take that really big transformation since I started watching the Premier League. Because, you know, obviously Chelsea, Man City, they've chopped and changed stuff, but they've, you know, relatively been stayed pretty level in terms of not needing a huge facelift or transformation of what they do. Um, Arsenal obviously have kind of done the opposite where they have were pretty decently stable and then now they've kind of fallen off the cliff. But Liverpool, um, I remember being a United fan when they brought in Klopp during the last season of Ben Hall and I was like, you know, you could ask any United fan, they were like, oh, this is not good because it's like we we could definitely see like something good is going to happen to this team. It may not happen like right away, but it's going to happen pretty soon and they're going to win a lot. And, you know, the transformations, the signings they made, a lot of Premier League teams were jealous about it because they were like, oh, they're making like good signings that are going to improve the team. And then they just got exponentially really good. And they were the first team I saw really take that huge transformation from, you know, mediocre to like really good and i think united are kind of slowly taking that progression from kind of being mediocre to finally taking that ascension up to the uh to the next level so i i'm really excited all but i will say as tyler's mentioned it's only week one so 
we can, we got to see what they can do for the rest of the season. But, you know, uh, oddly enough, moving on to Tyler's team, uh, Liverpool beating Norwich 3 0. Uh, pretty, pretty convincing win. Um, Norwich looked a little scary in the beginning, but I, I felt like overall, I felt like Liverpool had a pretty, pretty, um, pretty comfortable outing there. But I think for me, uh, what was uh, interesting was Diego Jota and uh, Roberto Firmino both scoring. Um, granted, they weren't like world, you know, oh my gosh, like golazos, but you know they're both got, both got on the score sheet for for a Liverpool fan. Um, I know that you mentioned that the striking position has been a big worry for you, but it has to feel good to know that at least the the two people that can play center forward for Liverpool both got under the on the score sheet. Mm-hmm. It was pretty relieving to see, you know, the two goals especially were kind of scrappy. I'm not going to lie. Like the first oh, really? goal, like Salah had like a mistouch which turned into an assist, assist. for him. And then Diogo <laughs> Jota just kind of slid it in to like a few feet to the left of Cruel, uh, Tim Cruel. This cruel, cool mm-hmm. world out there. Just letting <laughs> that go. So, and then, you know, Firmino's goal is just like, it originated from Mane getting his shot blocked. And then Salah just also tapping it in for a Firmino tap in as well. So it's just kind of those little scrappy goals that, you it's not really something you're gonna put on a replay or something you're gonna watch a montage of but as a fan trying to see a team win as many games as it can and also try to go for the trophy it's these kind of goals that you kind of need to see from your team get put in and also have opportunities arise from because last season these kind of goals were kind of lacking it was very much like all right either we score something spectacular or we just win barely maybe like one nil or you know with the defense kind of lacking last season too, it'd be like, all right, we got to scrappily win 2-1, 3-2, things like that. So seeing this 3-0 is pretty relieving to me. And seeing Van Dyke back after his ACL tear from last season, literally it's been almost a year at this point, and he starts week one for yeah. the team. And also seeing Joel Matip back as well as his partner. Yeah. It was kind of cool to see. It's like, Joe right, Gomez was on the bench, right? Joe Gomez was on the bench. So it's yeah. kind of you got interesting to three. see. Yeah, we got a big three. Fabinho was also on the bench mm-hmm. as well. So it was like, okay. So it's like everyone's everyone's kind of back. And it's, it was cool to see where, you know, there's a lot of big signings for other clubs. You know, for Chelsea, you got like Lukaku, Manu. You know, once again, we got Sancho and Varane. And for Liverpool, all they really, the only signing they really had was Konate. But seeing this first week, all these players coming back from injury, it feels like new signings again. It's just like, all right. Finally getting all these players back. And we even mentioned Navi Keita, Oxlade-Chamberlain starting as well. James Miller also starting. All these players that were had some injuries here and there last season also all coming back. So that's also relieving to see. But, you know, this result, it is against a Norwich team, which I think will probably get relegated. <laughs> so it's not really... It's, it's a comforting hey, I mean, result yeah, to I see. Mean, it was last year where, you know, you guys were struggling to beat these teams. You know, true. either barely winning or, you know, would get the surprising L. So I think it's a big step that Liverpool are, can comfortably win these games again. It's true. But for me, it's always whenever we see opening weekend, I don't know why it's like written in the Bible <laughs> or something where it's always Norwich versus Liverpool and opening weekend. <laughs> if, you, if you just rewind the past previous seasons where Norwich is back in the Premier League, it's always Liverpool versus Norwich in that opening game. And usually Liverpool is just like trouncing them. So... I mean, it's just kind of like that repeat again, like same story, different year, but kind of having these players all come back and then get the result. And, you know, Norwich did put up a game. There were certain times when Ali Sun had to make some big saves. He made like a triple save at one point at the very end of the game. 
Mm-hmm. And there was times where Joel Matip had to put his body on the line just to block a shot, which was a little scary to see because, you know, for me, the best defense are the teams that allow, that don't allow other teams to take shots. Don't even let the chance happen. But, you know, Liverpool, this game, they let Norwich take a few chances. But luckily, they're all kind of put to bed after the fact. But I think for me, this Liverpool side is, is looking a little bit more promising than I anticipated before going into the season because it's like, oh, okay. So all these players look like they're kind of all guns blazing just from the get-go where I felt like before it may have been a more slower progression getting all these players back in from injury because, you know, after not playing for a few months to, you know, in Van Dyke's place for a year even, it could be kind of interesting and kind of rough just getting right back into the groove again just yeah. from the from the go. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it was relieving to see. And, you know, hopefully this kind of switch up with Yogo Jota and Firmino up top, kind of going back to your original question. <laughs> uh, it is, I think, going to be working out right now, but we'll just have to see consistently if we can just keep going because that was the worry last season, too, is like, can they keep this going? Because, you know, ultimately they weren't traditional strikers. Neither of them were. They're more like, mm-hmm. you know, wingers for a Diogo Jota or more of like a cam for Firmino. So we'll just have to see how this goes. Because right now it's kind of more relying on Mane and Salah getting those goals again. Then, yeah, I I know the Sky Sports had a segment. I know Jamie Carragher brought up the same point he brought up last season was there's too much pressure on like Salah and Mane to score all the goals for Liverpool. So he he says like the key for Liverpool being successful is either bringing in a striker or having Firmino and Jota really step up and score and handle kind of the scoring load. Because if you get too reliant on your winger scoring goals, uh, you know it'll be easy for teams to kind of, you know, lock those wingers down and, you know, stop those chances from happening. But Liverpool will be interesting because what, what was also um, interesting that came out of this was when I, when I was covering the game, I, I noticed this was Salah has now, first of all, it's kind of crazy. He's been in the Premier League for five seasons now. That's seems mm-hmm. like he hasn't been here for that long, but he has. Um, but he's the first player to score in five straight opening weekends. That's a, uh, that's a little interesting. That's pretty crazy. Um, I know the a lot of people make like lot a lot of people like to make jokes back in the day uh, that Salah was just a, a one season wonder type thing, um, like they did with Kane. But you know that kind of speaks for itself. Five first player to do that. That's that's really crazy for Liverpool. But uh, one interesting note that came out of this was Norwich. Uh, they had an American. Um, they they signed him, Josh Sargent from uh, I believe Werder Bremen. Um, mm-hmm. He was playing in the Bundesliga for a couple seasons. They obviously were not doing too hot. So Josh Sargent made the move uh, to the Premier League, made his debut, coming off, coming off the bench for Norwich. I'm excited because he looks the part. Um, we, we've you know obviously people that follow the U.S. men's national team, we know that he has potential to be pretty good. Um, he had, you know he's on the U.S. men's national team roster, played in the um, Concacaf Nations League. Um, so. He looks promising. I'm I'm really excited to see how he kind of gets on. I think Norwich is actually a really good opportunity and club for him. A club that plays, you know, attacking football. He'll get a ton of chances to score. He'll get to learn off Timo Puki. Hopefully, get some of that that Puki party magic. So, uh, I'm excited to see how how Josh Sargent goes. It's it's good because now he's the fourth American right now playing in the uh, Premier League, right behind Christian Pulisic, Zach Steffen, and um, one player for Wolves, Owen Otuasi, I think, or I think that's how you say his name, but um, it's good to see another Amer- American thriving and getting a chance to kind of go out in the Premier League. So uh, one little note over there. But moving on to um, kind of save this one a little bit down the list, but 
the biggest game of the weekend or quote-unquote biggest game was the Tottenham City game where Tottenham actually surprisingly came out victorious. Um, 1-0 game for them, uh, winning it 1-0. It was a classic sun strike that won the goal, cuts in, finesse, um, you know, did the iconic iconic celebration right there for his goal. But, you know, I didn't get a chance to, I didn't get a chance to watch this, uh, this game entirely, but from everything I heard and everything I read after the, after the fact, um, it just seemed like Nuno set his squad up right. And if you didn't know, Nuno, when he was at Wolves, he, um, he was a kind of a thorn in Man City's side. I always felt like Wolves put up like probably one of the best fights against City with Adama Traore, um, Raul Jimenez, their fast wingers, it always seemed like they had the right game plan to attack City, and it just seemed like uh, Nuno copy and pasted his style at Wolves and just pasted it to Tottenham's side, and they came out victorious. Had Son and I think Bergwijn playing as strikers, um, Hoiberg playing as like that holding midfielder. So, um, you know, Nuno got the tactics right and got the got the dub to start off his um, Premier League campaign with Tottenham. Mm. It was also kind of interesting that although he usually is a thorn. In that Man City side, you know, Willy Bolly every once in a while do some cheese <laughs> in the result. He he played a different kind of tactic from what we usually see from Nuno Espirito Santos kind of playbook where you always see that classic three in the back. Whenever you think of the Wolves side, you always think it's like, oh, yes, they have like Connor Cody, Willy Bolly, and then Saiz. And that's their classic three in the back. Mm-hmm. And then they had like the right wing back, left wing back kind of always running up and down the line. But I thought he was going to bring that to Tottenham. And funny enough... This game, he put four in the back. And I was like, huh, what? Tanganga. <laughs> yeah, Tanganga playing right back. And then, you know, Reg Wilon playing left back. And then in the middle, it's just, you know, Eric Dyer, he's back in center back. I was just like, what's going on? I'm like, this is <laughs> kind of weird to see. Yeah, Davidson yeah, Sanchez. Sanchez as well as his partner. And I was just like, what is going on? Like, Probably it's- the two mo- mistake-prone center backs for the past <laughs> couple seasons starting. But- they just looked like they were shot out of a cannon because this Spurs side looked like they're just cracked like the whole game. Like they had so much more energy and juice compared to the Man City side. And they got to put it to perspective. It just seems like everyone's just on times two speed. Like anytime Lucas Moore had the ball, he just ran past the entire Man City defense. Like Man City just did not look like they were in this game for the most part. Like, you know, they had the better players on paper, but when everything was just kind of getting put together, Spurs' counterattack was just insane. Like, it's just Man City were just on their back foot for most of it. So even the scoreline of a 1-0 doesn't even play the full picture. You know, Lloris did have some good save, but there were times when even Stieg Bergwijn was on a one-on-one against Ederson, and then his finishing kind of let him down. But, <laughs> you know, Hungman Son with the opening goal in the second half, it was some big relief because all the Spurs fans, you could hear in the in the stands him challenge all of them chant- chanting, "Are you watching Harry Kane?" Like all yeah. those, all those chants. Crazy, crazy and right? I don't think Harry was there. Like usually, there's a yeah. camera that shows if someone is in this in this in the stadium, whether if they're injured or just you know out for yeah, personal I don't reasons. Think he was. He was not there unless the cameraman couldn't find them. But yeah. he was not the game. So it's kind of the writing on the wall that Harry Kane probably will be on his way out, most likely to the team that. Tottenham were facing that game and yeah. they very do well need someone like him because Ferran Torres playing striker is not the same as Cesc Fabregas playing striker as a midfielder. <laughs> so it's, I don't know, it's just kind of bizarre seeing Gabriel Jesus still on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> their, their one striker <laughs> could even get above Ferran Torres to get the starting 
striker's position. And also seeing Jack Grealish getting the start yeah. over, you know, Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, you know, Kevin did get an injury over the Euros, and maybe he's still recovering from that a little bit. But I was surprising to see Grealish get such a quick start because I thought, you know, Pep would yeah. think to kind of instigate him and kind of teach him the, you know, all the tactics and get him more comfortable yeah. with it before sending him in into such a big game. But yeah. you know, sure enough, he just chucks him in right away. And, you know, he did have some good plays, but it just seemed like the chemistry wasn't there with that left mm-hmm. side of uh, Raheem Sterling yet. And it kind of showed. So maybe that kind of little blips also kind of deterred Man City from getting too much attacking premise or like too much attacking going on in that game. So, I mean, Tottenham looked really good to get that game and Man City. They dropped the ball. Like this, yeah. you know, we we talk a lot about how making one mistake, losing one game, getting that one draw can be very costly at the end of the season. Yeah. Man City starting off with a loss when all the other teams also in that top. Yeah. Four, all the teams challenging for title, basically. Yeah, they all got the results. So this puts a little bit of pressure on City. Mm-hmm. Like just straight but, from the get go. City City did start very slow last season. We were like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on with this team? <laughs> and then that's true. You know what happened? They just went on a run. Um, but I, I think this is, uh, I wouldn't say like so worrying for city, but it's definitely going to be interesting because they did bring in Jack Grealish. And when you spend, you know, a hundred mil on a player, like you have to play him there. You can't just like have him on the bench or have him playing, you know, the, every, every random cup game, um, that, you know, Pep likes to do for some of his big signings, but splashing a hundred mil, there's definitely going to be a lot of pressure for Jack Grealish to kind of live up to. And you know, I feel bad for kind of Phil Foden as well because it seems like Phil Foden. I always, I don't know. For me, I feel like Phil Foden, and Jack Gielish are similar s players, where they can kind of do the same role, where they can play like Jack Grealish can play out in the wing on the left wing if he needs to. Phil Foden can do the same. Both ideally like to play in the in the middle and as a number ten. Um, so I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how Jack Grealish kind of gets on. But I guess going back to your point about Tottenham. Um, it was definitely crazy when I heard the chance of are you watching Harry Kane? Um, because I think the whole Harry Kane saga has kind of gotten really crazy. Um, because the more I read about it, I just feel like Harry Kane um has just been in the I feel like Harry Kane has done more damage for his reputation than he thought he was doing. Um, because yeah, it's okay to ask for a transfer request or just, you know, say that you want a new challenge, you want to move on. Of course, any player is going to want to do that. We've seen top players do that all the time from, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, you know, Eden Hazard, you know, Thibaut Courtois. Like, players all over the world have done that. But I think the way Harry Kane has gone about it has been wrong. First of all, I think him not turning up to training is pretty bad because, you know, you're a professional player, you signed a contract. I do agree with Gary Neville and, you know, other pundits where you kind of have a right and respect to, you know, hold to your teammates and the coaches to show up to training. You can't just not show up and be like, oh, I'm bigger than the club. I'm bigger than the manager. I think that's a big sign of disrespect. And I also think him going on interview and actually putting a price tag on his head saying that he's worth like 100 mil or so, I think that's also really bad because you cannot do that. You know, that's completely undermining the club, Tottenham. And I, I feel... You know, Harry Kane for so many years has kind of been the good guy of football. He's been like the guy that just, you know, comes in every day, does the work, doesn't complain, doesn't say anything. He's like the poster boy. But this is not how you go about it. And I feel like a lot of his reputation has kind of been hurt. And he's kind of essentially turned himself into the villain um, because you can't sit there and put a price tag on your head. And you also cannot not turn up for training. Um, So I think he's done his reputation a lot of harm. And 
I don't know, you know, if Jack Grealish went for 100 mil, Harry Kane is easily like way better than Jack Grealish. So he's going to have to go up for 150 mil at least. And obviously, Man City are the only team that could afford him. And I, for Tottenham, it would make no sense for Daniel Levy to sell him because it's not like they can bring in a player of Harry, Queen, Harry Kane's quality to come in at Tottenham, especially at this stage of their club where they're not competing for champions league um, qualification or champions league, um, you know, titles. So, you know, 150 mil, I think is going to be what's going to get Harry Kane to get out of Tottenham. But to me, I just feel like Tot- I feel like Harry Kane has just went about this whole situation very wrong. And to me, it's, it's kind of hurt his reputation in terms of being the good guy in football. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's just, does he even stay at the club? Because, you know, after saying all this stuff, he signed the, the, the thing I don't get is like, you know, why sign the long term deal if you knew in the back of your head that like this team may not be the team that's going to challenge for the title? You know, you, you put yourself in that situation, I feel like. I know. And I mean, I've seen at times, you know, back in the past, you've seen like with Coutinho at Liverpool, you know, Luis Suarez at Liverpool, where whenever they sign that long term deal, they usually leave the next transfer window because, you know, the club can get more money from that player because of that contract. Yeah, and maybe that's what Harry Kane was going for, but it was such a apparently exu- he had a gentleman's agreement with Daniel Levy. But I feel like Daniel Levy is the last guy I want to have a gentleman's agreement, <laughs> like the man who crosses his fingers behind the back while he shakes the <laughs> hand. So, oh uh-huh, yeah. So, I mean, at this point too, is if they sell Harry Kane, like Tottenham sells Harry Kane for 150 million pounds, you know, Tottenham have 150 million pounds to spend, yeah. but they have a week to do it yeah so they're gonna pull and then like you a run panic the risk buy. of like yeah yeah then you run the risk of buying like the bail money players where they're just all crap essentially yeah and it's just you know you get one gold nugget out of a sea of coal but mm-hmm. i mean right now a lot of people are saying you know even if they bench kane don't play kane sell kane you know some Tottenham fans are kind of relieved it's like you know we can do it without him we can we can play son like he can carry but i'm thinking no We've seen in previous seasons, whenever Sun does have to carry, yeah, he can usually go off. And we saw in this game as well, he's literally taking all the set pieces. He's taking the corner, he's taking the free kicks, he's, yeah, he's scoring the goals. He's getting this. Yeah, he's literally doing everything. But that's so much pressure for one player. And yeah, eventually teams will figure out, it's like, all right, if we can find a way to shut down Hungman's Sun, then, you know, Tottenham shut down. Whereas yeah. before, if you had Kane and Sun, you know, you know, Sun won't produce as much. But that's because Kane's also producing something too. And mm-hmm. if you go back to last season, Kane and Son, that combo was insane. Yeah, it was deadly. It was deadly. They scored the most goals and assists as mm-hmm. a duo in the whole Premier League. So yeah. I still think losing Kane for 150 million pounds, I mean, if he's going to go, then rip off the bandit and try to sell him now, just get the money because he's just going to depreciate over time at this rate. Yeah, he's he, not going to get younger. And, yeah. you know, if he sits and rots on the bench for like half the season, no club is going to be like, well, it's not really worth $150 million anymore. He doesn't play. Exactly. And with that kind of attitude, too, is like do players and or do managers and other clubs want to deal with that? So, yeah. I mean, that all kind of goes into play. It's just like, all right, you know, kind of forcing the hand of Tottenham to sell. But will Daniel Levy do it? <laughs> See, for <laughs> me, like I, 11 I, days to do it. As of today. I honestly... I honestly feel like it's going to come down to transfer transfer deadline day or the, you know, that last week of the transfer window. And I feel like Man City, they're kind of playing hardball, seeing if, you know, Tottenham will bite for like 110, 
or 115. But I, I feel like eventually it's just going to come down to it. City will have to fork up the full 150 mil. Tottenham accept it. Harry Kane goes. But I feel like that's only going to happen either on transfer deadline day or the last week of the transfer window. Because um, knowing Daniel Levy, he's going to play hardball to try to get as much money as he can You know, if a player wants to leave. That's unreal if they do a hundred fifty million pound transfer on yeah. transfer deadline day. That's like Kepa that's, level. Yeah. Level that's transfer. really Jeez. crazy how much money that's gonna be when you think about it. Mm. Um but I don't know. I, I do feel bad because if that does happen, I, I do feel bad for Nuno because then it's like Nuno comes in, does nothing wrong, and loses, you know, the best striker, you know, top five striker in Europe, uh to like nothing he did and now he has all this money that he can't spend because the club waited too long to sell him so Mm -hmm. he's kind of left like thinking like what do i do (sighs) oh i mean i will say you know coming in does bring that kind of new manager boost as i saw in that first game where you know lucas mora like the pace is back bergwine looked like he was (laughs) showing the pace is back and then bergwine showing glimpses of why tottenham bottom in the first place yeah and you know dali ali's back you know, and the yeah. dreadlocks. There you go. Yeah. So I was like, all right. So maybe there's some promise there, like dread, dreadlock Deli Alley coming back from the grave, and that's almost like a new signing right there. So maybe that kind of those little things could help with the team. But I still feel like even with Kane there or not, they need an- at least another player because if any one of those four go down now, their yeah, depth they, chart they, is it's pretty. Just either, yeah, it's it's thin. They either got like youth thin. academy, just youth products at that point. They don't have too much. <laughs> You don't have too Oliver much to skip go. right there. <laughs> yeah. Carlos Hill or, you know, the person oh they got from Sevilla. But yeah, what's also interesting with Tottenham is even though they had this amazing results against City, that today they actually lost the first leg of their playoff tie in the Euro- the new UEFA Europa Conference League against um, Paco de Ferreira, um, a team in the Portuguese um, first division. Um, they lost 1-0 um, in Portugal today, so... Kind of a terrible result for Tottenham after that's, you know, you know, I will say Tottenham did play like their B or C team. A lot of youth products out there, but come on, you, you know, you got to take care of business. Um, and to be honest, this could be like the UEFA Europa Conference League. I know it's not the most attractive thing to play in because it's like if you win it, you just get qualification automatically to the Europa League. But this could be a really good chance for Tottenham to solidify and get themselves a trophy because the competition, I feel like, is arguably, I would say, like not to be bad on other teams, it's arguably like in Tottenham's level of like realm of you know talent and everything. So I feel like Tottenham could, you know, if they play their cards right, um, they get serious about. It. I feel like they have a better shot of winning this than the Europa League. Mm-hmm. I agree too. It's just like it's this almost a gimme trophy at this point with Tottenham mm-hmm. and there's like they're kind of way overqualified. I mean, but they fumbled the first leg already. <laughs> So they got they got a mountain <laughs> to climb in the second leg. They kind of showed their happened. intentions with that B team that they put out. And I, I don't even know if you call it B team. It was almost C team at that rate. Yeah. I was just like, what is this? Who are these players? <laughs> yeah, there's so many random players on there. But yeah, Tottenham, I feel like are going to be like this yo-yo where they're just going to be looking good a couple weeks and then looking like really lost a couple the next couple weeks. So we'll see what happens with them. And then moving on to another London club. Actually, the last couple teams we have are London clubs, but. Uh, Chelsea Crystal Palace Chelsea demolishing Palace at home um, 3-0 what was interesting here was Pulisic um, he got a goal Marcus Alonso scored a free kick but um, Chelsea Academy graduate uh, Trevor Chalaba scored a stunning um, opening goal debut goal for 
de- debut Premier League goal for Chelsea and basically went down in tears after scoring it. Um, it was really cool because if you remember his older brother, I believe Nathan Chalaba, Nathan is his first name, um, was actually part of the title winning squad in 2016-17 under Conte. Um, obviously didn't amount to become like a very successful Chelsea player, but very, very cool to see that kind of, you know, you see the little brother already playing out in the Premier League now. So really cool for Chelsea. But um, what's also interesting was when the last time we recorded this podcast, uh, Romelu Lukaku had not been announced officially. Um, Obviously, before this game, Lukaku had already been officially announced. So Chelsea now have, I would say, guaranteed 25 goals a season striker with Romelu Lukaku coming back to the club that he uh, came up in in the Premier League. So as a United fan, it it it, it hurts a little bit because it's like, dang, this guy um, could have been really good at United, but just didn't pan out. Not just, I I would say, just not at the right time. He didn't come come to the club at the right time. So unfortunate. I I'm a, I like Lukaku overall as a person. I think he's a really good guy. So I'm rooting for him, but hopefully he doesn't score score too many goals against United. But man, Chelsea Chelsea got a Chelsea got a good one to come back. 25, I, I'm guarantee you, like, that's 25 goals guaranteed. It's crazy. I will say, there's a lot of omens against him, though. There's a lot of omens. <laughs> He's wearing the number nine for Chelsea, which yes. historically hasn't been too great. And Gonzalo also, Higuain, Alvaro Morata have been on that jersey. Fernando so, Torres. Yeah. Before the, you know, Champions League semifinal <laughs> game. Like, you know, he didn't really score that many. But, and then, you know, the list goes on. But, I mean, even for him, when he previously was at Chelsea, when he had the dreadlocks once again, he didn't score a goal. He played yeah. 15 games, didn't score a goal. So, you know, there's a lot for him to overcome just mentally and also just in voodoo wise. But I think for this team, they're too stacked to like not do well. That whole starting four, three or five, how many, many players are going to put up top? There's so many players and so much competition that they have to reform. Otherwise, they're on the bench. Like Kai Havertz was on the bench for this opening game. And so was, I believe, Mason Mount. Like literally, they had, they, they have, only, not only those players, but they also have Timo Warner still there, Christian Pulisic still there, and then I'm just reading the last one. But you know Ziyech, yeah, Ziyech. yeah, Ziyech, who got injured. Mm-hmm. So all these players are still up there. <laughs> I'm yeah, just like, they haven't not, sold anyone. Not to mention, they they sold well. They did sell Tammy Abraham to Roma to mm-hmm. Jose Mourinho's uh, like Roma, I, but they sold them for an insane fee, like forty five mil. Yeah, um, he didn't even play like, that I, much Chelsea, last season. I feel like Chelsea's like the only team that gets like a ridiculous amount of money off their like bench players. I just don't get it how they do it. Unless you're Liverpool Academy product, then <laughs> you can also kind of get the same with Solanke, I, <laughs> Brewster. But for Chelsea, yeah. though, yeah, literally. But I will say Tammy Abraham could go off because Chelsea also do have the tendency of selling. They, they set up a buyback clause for him. I think it's like 70 mil. So they I can think, avoid yeah. if he does go off where it's, they don't pay 100 mil to get Lukaku from Inter Milan, <laughs> I think. But no, Chelsea look ridiculous, especially that if you look at their squad from top to bottom, um, their defense has obviously been really solid. I'm actually pretty impressed with Trevor Chalaba. They've been talks about getting Kunde from uh, Sevilla, but I'm like, this guy looks pretty good already. Um, so... We don't know how, you know, if they will go after him, but the midfield is obviously solid with Conte, Jorginho, who's like literally won the entire European collection of trophies, I feel like at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, You have Kovacic that can play in there, Mason Mount that can play in there sometimes. And then the front, you know, three, you have Lukaku, Werner, Ziyech, um, Kai Havertz, Christian Pulisic. The list kind of goes on and on about the quality of players they have. It's just, it's kind of insane their depth chart right now. 
It's and Tuchel, I would say, probably the hottest coach in Europe right now, and just the 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 amount of trophies he's winning right now, it's crazy. And this randomly won the Champions League last season, and yeah. they also won the Super Cup against Villarreal. Yeah, so they're they're literally. I don't know if it's just like not too much hype <laughs> right now, but it's just, it's just Chelsea secretly just winning, not secretly, but just kind of more low key, just winning all these trophies and like they're not really getting enough credit. And it's, well, I feel it, like they, I feel like Tuchel is kind of a low key manager too, because I feel like the, the 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 managers that have won stuff for them in the past have been very, uh, let me say, what's the nicest out there managers like Jose Mourinho. He's always <laughs> going to cause up a story. Antonio Conte is always doing some wild stuff on the sidelines. Tuchel is probably like the most chill minded coach out of all of them, where he's pretty intense in training, but like he's not going to show it out in public and such. Unless it was the Dortmund version. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> I remember there was one time he made like some weird like X kind of symbol with mm-hmm. trying to say some kind of tactic. I was like, what is he doing? <laughs> He's dancing <laughs> on the sideline. But yeah, under I would say under Tuchel, it's a lot more mellow on the sideline. Yeah, there's yeah. not as much drama going out in the media and such. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like compared to the other two. It's kind of more calm figure. Yeah. Kind of bizarre to see on the Chelsea sideline, but you know, it is what it is. It's mm-hmm. uh Chelsea just dominating that Patrick Vieira Crystal Palace. And yes. you know, that's also kind of be as expected as well. So we're just gonna have to see how they do against Arsenal uh, upcoming soon as well. So Yeah. But uh actually talking about Arsenal, the Brentford Arsenal game, Arsenal like, you know, not 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 having a good opening day, uh losing two nil to the newly promoted side Brentford. Um Probably the biggest thing is that Arsenal fans in general have just been kind of feeling very meh about the signings because they are expected to announce the signings of Aaron Ramsdale, the goalkeeper, and Martin Odegaard from Real Madrid, bringing them back on permanent deals. But uh, I was looking at the transfer, I guess, budget in the terms of the money they spent. They've actually spent, with they when they confirm Odegaard and, and Ramsdale, they would have actually spent more money than Manchester United have for Rafael Varane and Jadon Sancho. Um, it's kind of crazy when you think about it that they spent more money on their players than Manchester United have on two basically superstars. But it's kind of the state Arsenal are in right now where they don't necessarily have that that brand power where they can just buy the biggest names because they're not in Champions League anymore. So they kind of have to make these deals or kind of overpay for some players because they just kind of don't have that, I guess, that power over other certain clubs anymore because of the the way the the club has kind of been run the past couple seasons but i will say for arsenal fans that their couple signings they have made this summer are all pretty young ben white i think is like 22 martin odegaard's like 23 aaron ramsdale's pretty young uh lakonga's pretty young uh nuno tavares is also pretty young so i guess that that is a good thing they're kind of going that that man united route where they sign you know good players but they are really young so they can kind of build for the future but oh man it's tough because uh, Mikel Arteta, I think the biggest question mark under him is will he last as Arsenal manager because it's not looking too hot. I just don't see a very clear, distinct style that he's trying to play. I feel like, I don't know. I just feel like this is now, I think, the third full year going into Arteta or the second full year. And I just still feel like there's just question marks on how he wants to set up the side, how he wants his players to perform, the quality of players he's given. I don't know. I just feel like there's still a lot of question marks on the Arteta, and I I don't know right now if he will be able to last the whole season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say, for this Arsenal side, they didn't have their best starting eleven as well. They started like Balogun at striker, like his yeah. debut at striker because that's you know, true. Aubameyang and Lacazette were had COVID, so they they had to miss out on the action. Mm-hmm. So they're both out. Uh, 
Bukayo Saka was also on the bench. And then also for just the rest of the starting 11, it was all youth players almost. Like you got uh, Lakonga also getting his debut. Emil Smith-Rowe is a little, a little bit more of a veteran youth player, if that makes sense. Yeah. Getting the start and then also got Martin. Uh, Martinelli, Martinelli also getting coming the back as well. from the Olympics, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, so it's kind of like Pedri. <laughs> it's just like yeah. you know what, you're coming straight in. It's not yeah. like he played too much anyway. So there we go. And I think all those kind of showed that. I mean, if you just put it on paper, they're all kind of you know youth players, and they're facing a Brentford side that got promoted, a team that was used to winning last season, and they kind of came in guns blazing with a full capacity side. It was a small stadium too, like the Brentford played at home. But it sounded like sixty thousand. It was insane. Maybe the mics were just really close <laughs> to the fans <laughs> or something. But that definitely played a part in helping Brentford take over because it just made Arsenal look mediocre, and it really made them look like they were a side that played almost half youth players. And you know, because they did. But <laughs> this Brentford side, they were pretty commanding for the most part, and some of the goals that Arsenal let in were kind of sloppy as well. Yeah. And I was like, what is going on? They couldn't even score. Arsenal couldn't even get a big chance in. You know, Balogun, he had some chances, but they just, it just looked like it was his first game in the Premier League. I'm not going to lie. So it's it's kind of bizarre seeing Arsenal still almost feeling like they're rebuilding because they kind of started this rebuild process the same time as Manchester United started their process of kind of clearing out the deadwood and rebuilding as well. Why, whereas, you know, you can see United now bringing in world-class players, bringing in all those players of high pedigree because now they're in Champions League. They're <coughs> Excuse me. They're like, they have yeah, the pedigree Arsenal's now. Yeah, so bad. They're getting Tyler choked up now. Yeah, they're getting me choked up. But, you know, <laughs> Arsenal's getting worse. They're like, they're not even getting yeah. fourth place consistently every single season now. They're barely it, making it into Europa League. It's actually mad because um, I, I just feel like Arsenal fans, they're upset with the club. But I, I feel like there's just a general sense with Arsenal fans. Yeah, we joke about them. They're a meme club where, you know, oh, like, you know, classic Arsenal. But Arsenal fans, I feel like, are not even optimistic anymore. It's like they're just so, they're just like, they just expect the worst. They like, they have, there's no optimism. They're like, optimism has not been restored to the club. And to me, that's just worrying because now we're, I feel like this has been, you know, four or five seasons now where they haven't had Champions League football. Like, this is Arsenal. This is one of the biggest, you know, teams in the Premier League, and they're approaching, you know, their fifth or fourth season without Champions League football. I think that's kind of mind-boggling when you think about it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to kind of put it in perspective as well, like our our good friend Sung Sung Hun Cho, <laughs> the armchair manager, who is yeah had his classic analysis from a few seasons ago on this very yeah. podcast. He sent me a sent me a DM over the weekend where Arsenal they put out a a Instagram reel of Thierry Henry. Like, you know, when Henry was on the team, Patrick Vieira was on the team, the Invincibles, yeah. they were a much different team. They were basically competing for Champions League all consistently. They were winning titles. But Cho, he's basically telling me, he's like, man, this Henry man needs to be tried for fraud as millions of kids grew up becoming Arsenal supporters because of his deceptions and only just to bring sadness now for the past several seasons. <laughs> and I'm just like... That kind of sets the tone now where it's just like Arsenal fans, they're not even sad anymore. They just know it's just only disappointment. It's almost like Tottenham level sad where both North London teams are just kind of, you don't know where direction they're going. Like they had a map, but they didn't have a goal for where to end up. It's just like, yeah. uh, it is what it is. So this Arsenal side, I don't know what to make of them. 
I had a little bit of hope. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Going into this, but honestly, we will have to see what happens when you know Aubameyang comes back, Lacazette comes back, Bakayo Saka gets slotted back into that starting eleven because those are some key integral players. It's like, yeah, of course, the team's going to be worse when their star yeah. players are out. But yeah. to lose ben to Brentford, <laughs> yeah, Ben Ben White looked pretty nervous. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I, I can't blame him because look at the people that are playing in front of him. You have like Granite Xhaka. Um, as you're like holding that guy's like the most wild man, like known to the Premier League. And he re I think he re-signed a long-term contract with Arsenal. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't get it because I, I don't know. Some of the moves Arsenal make are pretty puzzling because you have some of these players that are like dead wooden in a sense where you just know they're just not good enough for quote unquote, like the stereotypical Arsenal level, but Arsenal keep re-signing them or they keep bringing these players in instead of moving on and just starting fresh for a new squad or a new type of player. But they keep trying to hold on to like, hopefully this guy can turn out to be um, what we want him to be. And it's just not. And I think uh, what Cho said was interesting. I feel like a lot of people I know that are Arsenal fans, they grew up becoming Arsenal fans because of Thierry Henry, the Invincibles, Arsene Wenger, uh, Patrick Vieira, like all those, Dennis Bergkamp, all those legendary players. But, you know, as time goes on, the players that are currently in their prime right now, I feel like they grew up watching, you know, Terry Henry, all those guys playing. But the young crop that are 17, 16 year old, their recollection of Arsenal was just going to be disappointment of them getting blown out by Manchester United, them losing in the final, them just getting fourth place, them not making the Champions League. And I feel like the longer this goes without them going back to their successful roots, uh, it's the, it's going to hurt the club eventually because um, it's going to be harder for players to relate to the success they had because it had been so long. So um, I feel like this season is really, really important for Arsenal. Whether Arteta is the guy to get them back there, we we don't know. But I feel like their signings are a good step towards kind of, in a sense, turning the tide to hopefully better days at Arsenal because they're, they are young. They have a lot of promising potential and such. But, you know, Unfortunately for Arsenal, they really need that potential to come up now and not, you know, four or five years down the line. And it, it, it's kind of a difficult situation right now with Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Like, and it kind of goes to show where, you know, yes, you kind of mentioned it yourself, where they don't have, you know, the glitz and glamour of the Champions League to attract players that they overpay to get just project players, players that they can hopefully develop to become world class to hopefully get back into that. So it's it's kind of a rough time being an arsenal fan if you're out there we kind of feel for you but it it also it's hard too i guess one last little mini rant there is it also hurts too because the big players they splash money on you know nicola pepe has shown flashes of okay this guy can be pretty good but he just doesn't do it consistently enough thomas Partey from last summer keeps getting injured so we don't know how he will look when he does play he looks phenomenal but it's just he's injured all the time obamian kind of dipping down in terms of can he come back to the form he had two years ago? Lacazette, you know, been decent, but never really panned out to be that striker that we thought he was going to be when they signed him a couple of seasons back. So, you know, they they kind of have, you know, they, when they do splash the money, unfortunately, it just has not been super successful. And I think that ultimately makes or breaks a club is like whether the superstar signings you make actually pan out to be good. Mm-hmm. So it's been, uh, it's been a harrowing and tough time for... For Arsenal, and you know, kind of dealt with that rant over there, but yeah, I, I, I hope the best for Arsenal because you know the Premier League is a better league if they are back, you know, towards the top and challenging for titles, but just not right now, at least. But um, moving on to the uh, preview section, we have a couple uh, decent games that are going to be coming on this upcoming weekend. First, we got 
Wolves versus Tottenham. In the outside, this doesn't look too interesting, but if you actually look at the storylines, Nuno returning back to the Molyneux, um, returning back to the uh, the team he coached for the past three seasons, basically elevated Wolves to the next level. So a lot of those players are going to know Nuno. Nuno is going to have a relationship with a lot of those players. So this one will be interesting. Um, I think, uh, you know, Wolves are a good side, but I, I think, uh, I feel like Nuno will want to kind of get a better of his old clubs. I, I feel like Tottenham might pick up another win. So I, I think they bounce back from their defeat from the uh, Europa Conference League today. I, I feel like they might win 2-1 uh, this weekend against Wolves. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, Yosh. Like, I think it's going to be a Tottenham win, mostly because I feel like Tottenham are also a lot better situation to also recover. and Not really recover, but also just kind of transition into this yeah, revenge game. But, you know, yeah, transition into like this new kind of style of Nudo. Whereas for Wolves, they're very much before they're built around that Nuno system of three in the back. And having this new manager come in, it's going to be a lot kind of different kind of styles kind of learning that. So, you know, they didn't really, Wolves in the first game week against Leicester, they lost one nil. And against Tottenham, I think it might be another kind of scrappy game for them trying to still kind of adapt to this new transition system. So I think it'll be another one nil for Tottenham. Yeah, so we're both going to get Tottenham wins there. And then we got West Ham versus Leicester City. Two of, I would say, um, teams that really performed really well last season. I thought was what was interesting was Leicester City um, in their last game. When they did play Wolves, when Jamie Vardy scored, he actually went up to the Wolves um, supporters section and howled at them. So classic Jamie Vardy coming back. You got, you'd love to see that. But this won't be interesting because West Ham have been pushing to get Jesse Lingard to come back. Uh, to West Ham still hasn't happened yet, but um, very, very interesting clash. I feel like it's going to be exciting. I really like West Ham because they have Mikel Antonio, Sadio Barrama. They have, you know, Declan Rice. They just have a good squad and so do Leicester. But I think with West Ham being at home, the home factor kind of has to kick in again because of the fans. So I feel like, you know, the fans will be blowing bubbles. The London Stadium, I feel like a 2-1. I feel like another 2-1. West Ham. I feel like a 2-1 victory for West Ham is going to be in the books for them uh, this this weekend. This is a little interesting because both teams, are they considered dark horses at this point? Like Everyone kind of expects them to be knocking at the door of the Champions League at this point. Or making a run for Europa League, definitely for sure. Definitely Europa League challenge for these two teams. So they're very much on the same level and they, you know, West Ham, they face the Newcastle side and they scored surprisingly a lot of goals in this game. They came back. I think they came back from 2-0 down to win 4-2. Crazy. They did come back and they won 4-2. And I was like, oh, did it about Messi Lingard. Oh, interesting. <laughs> but, I mean, that is against a Newcastle side, which is, of course, Newcastle. So, this Leicester side is going to be a lot different. I think, given that these two are going to be kind of, kind of fighting, like, head-on for the same kind of positions, ultimately, at the end of the season... It's going to be one of those make or break kind of games. And usually whenever I see things like that, it's always a draw. <laughs> so I'm going to go with 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. That'll be exciting. 2-2. Two, two. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Be a good I game, it. And then fi- Yeah, good game. Um, and finally, the last game of the, the weekend that we had, the big one, um, Arsenal versus Chelsea, that historic rivalry. Interesting enough right here is Arsenal have won the last three meetings between these um, two sides, which is kind of interesting because it's like, Chelsea are very, have been very good recently, and Arsenal have not been the best, but they've still managed to pick up the dub when they can. Um, we'll probably see Romelu Lukaku get his first start for Chelsea, or 
definitely come come off the bench or at least featuring in this game. But Arsenal could feature uh, Martin Odegaard um, in this game as well, which will be a huge boost for them. Aubameyang has been reported that he tested negative for COVID this week, so he could return for this game. So that'll be a big boost for them. But I actually think, um, you know, you're going to call me crazy as much as I went off on Arsenal um, just a couple minutes ago. I think with them playing at um, the Emirates Stadium, you know, they're going to have it. They're going to be back at the Emirates Stadium. I feel like with that, um, compounded with losing their first game of the season and against their rival Chelsea. I feel like they're going to come up with a little ump, a little little bit of something, something. I, Arteta's going to get them fired up. He, he seems to have Chelsea's number recently. So I'm going to go with a... It's hard because Chelsea don't concede a lot of goals, but I, I feel like it... Oh, this one's tough. I feel like it's going to be... I can either see this going one way. It goes 1-0 or 3-2. So... I, I know Chelsea don't concede a lot of goals, so I'm going to go with the safe one. You know what? I'll go 3-2. Why not? Let's just go 3-2. 3-2 to Arsenal? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Arsenal is going to concede some stupid goals because, you know, it's Arsenal. They have, like, some very, you know, very confusing players. But I don't know. I feel like they just seem to have Chelsea's number recently, and I feel like that that kind of voodoo stuff can go, kind of come along and them being at the Emirates. I I, I don't know. I feel like... The crowd is going to be into it. Arteta is going to want a response from his team. So I'm going to go 3 2 Arsenal. Mm. Call me crazy. It might not happen, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to say 3 2 Arsenal. I usually do factor in a lot of, you know, factors like that, like, you know, crowds, uh, home field advantage, which is pretty important. And also just recent form. And also, you know, some of that voodoo stuff, because like sometimes that does play in the mental part of players' heads. But man, Chelsea, I feel like the season and last season just, the fact that they've been getting the games done, like under Tuchel, they've just been getting things done. There's very few times where they kind of drop the ball. I feel like against, in just terms of momentum too, going into this game, they just beat Crystal Palace. They just beat Villarreal in the Super Cup. I don't see them losing. It's it's. I don't even see them conceding. And I feel like this Arsenal side, they're they're just too much of a mess right now. It's just like even <laughs> if Aubameyang comes in, he was just sick with COVID. So it's just like, I don't know. It's going to be like Cam Newton when he just came back from COVID. It's just like, ah, I don't know. It's going to be like kind of nerfed. So, I mean, also like Arsenal fans, they're kind of the most raucous as well. But they also are some of the most easily to succumb to depression if, you know, <laughs> who pits the fans. So I, I think Chelsea could get a 1-0 lead from this. And then, you know, it starts going downhill real quick. And then it just ends 2-0. So I'm going to go Chelsea 2-0. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just kind of put my result out there. I just like one of those things you just have a feeling for. So that's why I put it out there. It most likely will not happen logically. Like <laughs> Chelsea are just a way better team, but you know, you got to throw out some crazy results out there. It's week two. You got to, yeah. you got to throw it out there. You can't be scared. Um, but I, I do well, see your logic, Tyler, because I feel like that's probably what's going to happen. But I'm like, you know, you got to have fun with it. I feel like a three, two could happen for Arsenal. It is football. Like, like literally anything could happen. It could be a six yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> like literally. So you never know. We're just throwing. Yeah. Things at the wall, and maybe one sticks. It could be yeah, both wrong. It could know. be tie. It could be a yeah. nil-nil. Hopefully not. Oh, but. please no nil-nil. I guarantee please. you this whole week after like what the the opening weekend we have, like all games are just nil-nil. <laughs> Everything ends in a draw. <laughs> there has to be oh. balance. <laughs> so there you go. Perfectly balanced as things should be. But yeah, um, that kind of wraps up uh, episode 121 for us. As we always say, thank you so much for the support. You could follow us at the Premier 
at the premiere pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also um, subscribe to our YouTube channel if you'd like to catch the video versions of the podcast. Um, and if you'd like to re- leave a review on Apple Podcasts uh, for the premiere pod, um, that would be great. It helps us get noticed out there. But obviously, just listening to it is more than enough. And you know, if you like it and want to share it with a friend or someone else that's interested in Premier League or just football and soccer in general, that's obviously uh, more than welcome. And we do appreciate the support in any way we get it. So thank you guys once again for listening. That wraps up episode 121 for us. Thank you guys. Peace. Peace. Peace.